With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom by simply visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Time for our Legal Hub. It's Wednesday morning here at RCR. Last week, we were back into it with Katie Ashby Coppins. And this week, Nick Kearney joins us flying solo uh, this week, Nick, it's good to have you back. I hope you've had a good break and uh, you're all set for a great year, let's say. Yeah, good morning, Paul. Good morning, listeners. I certainly have and I certainly am. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, where I'm from up in Auckland, it's certainly been a good summer, much better than last year anyway, with uh, the cyclones and floods and everything we had up here. So, yeah, no, so far so good. And, um, yeah, let's just hope that, you know, people's in the year of the dragon, the Chinese year of the dragon, which is meant to be a symbol of you know prosperity and and hope and everything, let's just hope that that happens to majority of your listeners or all of them at least. We should look back on on years of the dragon and see if that actually happened, if there's any discernible, you know, improvement in those years. Anyway, um, and I've been reading, and and of course we're on the first anniversary of Cyclone Gabriel today. I've been reading that. Uh, it's too hot for the trains to work in Auckland, even though it's only in the late 20 degrees, so I struggle with that one, that um, people have been uh, almost urged to stay inside because they might shrivel up in the sun. Is it, has it been that oppressive, the heat? Has it? I haven't been in Auckland for more than a few days. Uh, short answer is no. Oh, okay. It is, it's just been a good summer, and oh, you know I've been in Auckland since I was nine years old, so you know, 40, 40-something-plus 40 years, and... Um, you know, it's 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 been good, uh, nice, and you know, blue sky, sunshine, but nothing out of the ordinary that you haven't seen over the last forty years. But all of a sudden, of course, I mean, you've seen the Herald headline, the newspaper headlines over, over a couple of weeks ago. You know, people warned to stay inside, extreme yeah. heat, twenty-five yeah. degrees, you know, top temperature, and and people have been warned to stay inside for twenty-five degrees. I mean, who who? What do they think they're doing? What do they think they're saying? Well, we saw we saw, didn't we, during during COVID, how people uh, how how easily led people were, you know, and they read something and they hear something and Neva says something. Oh goodness, okay, and they better stay inside then because it's too hot for me to go outside. And there's just no, you know, generally no no thought given to it. No kind of well, hang on a sec, it's only twenty five degrees. Well, you know, when I was a you know when I was a boy growing up in Auckland. Playing tennis in the summer, you know, I was playing tennis in thirty. Yeah, you know? uh, I mean, it's, no, it's uh, uh, we. I think we, everybody's just losing. Uh, well, we're not, hopefully, but there's a lot of people just losing the plot at the moment over over um, inverted commas adverse weather events. Close inverted commas, and that'll lead on in, into our first topic in just a moment. But the the crazy thing about that is um, people now aren't believing their real world physical experience, and they're listening to, well, I mean, I don't want to use bad words, but BS artists, let's say, you know, telling them that, that what they're experiencing in physical reality is not happening to them, and they're, and they're kind of taking it on board, some of them. It's weird. Yeah, not, well, you know, as I say, um, you know, during COVID, we all saw that uh, thinking for yourself and acting for yourself was not permitted. No, that's you, right. know, you know, you were, you were yeah, told no, what to no, do. No, no. Yeah. You were told what to do and what the situation was, and that was it. And the podium of truth told you. And if you believed otherwise or thought for yourself otherwise, you were had a tinfoil hat on and were to be and called names and you know shoved into the corner. 
All right, so let's um, on-ramp to the first topic, and it is connected with, well, it has everything to do with climate change because climate change is at the basis of the decision that we're about to to talk about, yet um, I haven't seen any slam-dunk proof, so I don't know what information the courts are going on. So let's let's explain this one involving Mike Smith. People might remember that name from One Tree Hill. Yep, yep. So Mike Smith, uh, I guess you would call him a notorious or famous Māori activist, uh, chopped down the lone tree on uh, on One Tree Hill that you two wrote their good song about. That's right. Um, uh, anyway, chopped that down 20 or 30 years ago. And interestingly enough, of course, this is only could only happen in New Zealand, perhaps only Auckland. They haven't planted another one. They put a they put a monument up there. But Mike got up there and chopped a tree down in, in a protest of um, of Maori sovereignty or something. If you remember, anyway, with a chainsaw. But he's um, taken. He has now uh, um, taken uh, Fonterra um, petrol stations and oil companies and others to court, um, arguing that their their carbon emiss- uh, emissions. Uh, are damaging his 91 hectares of native land that he owns somewhere down in the middle of North Island, and they are not doing enough to reduce their emissions, and neither is the government doing enough to uh, redu- reduce uh, emissions. And climate change is so bad that uh, it's it's going to ruin his his land, not just his land, but he actually argued that he was a kaitiaki or guardian uh, of of the land down in the middle of North Highland uh, on behalf of other people uh, in his iwi and hapu, uh, and therefore he could argue on behalf uh, of them. And and you know, he sued. He was suing uh, these uh, emitters. If you call them Fonterra Oil Companies, Mobile, and others. Uh, and I think he might have even included the government in in, in the pleadings. I'm not I'm not sure, but uh, the Crown certainly attended. So probably he did. Uh, arguing that you know the BTS stuff wasn't sufficient, but he sued them uh, causes of action of tort and negligence. And tort is basically where someone else owes a duty of care to another person, and they breach that duty of care. Uh, and, you know, you basically defamation is a tort, for example. Um, negligence is a is a tort. If you're negligent and you cause someone else loss through your negligence, then that's you know, that can be sued for, sued upon, sued on. Uh, but so to tort, but also um, a common law claim uh, of of nuisance and nuisances where a landowner causes damage to another landowner, usually within the proximity uh, of the first landowner's land, um, by what by by something they do on their land. So Mike Smith arguing here, Fonterra has farms down near where his ninety one uh, hectares or acres is or whatever, and uh, their farming activities. Um, with with the cows and every, everything else, is causing a legal nuisance in, to his land and causing him harm and damage, and so he he took these companies to court um, in the high court, suing them. He didn't want any monetary, uh, he doesn't want any monetary payment. So Mike is is simply wanting a declaration that uh, that uh, a breach has occurred, on uh, tort and nuisance. Um, for these um, wrongs, uh, and wants a court to order that. Now, the the high court. Um, now, this is look. This is a, a huge, a huge stretch for common law because these two claims, tort and nuisance, while they have evolved over three or four hundred years from the English English courts um, 
common law courts into what, where they are now. Um, certainly, there are public policy reasons why some claims should never go ahead, uh, and the common one is the floodgates would open and, and where does it stop? And so, um, you know, he's pushed the boundaries uh, on both of these claims in the High Court, and the High Court said, don't be silly, that you just can't argue this. Uh, appealed to the Court of Appeal, uh, and the Court of Appeal said, don't be silly, you can't argue this. Um, there's no claim here, Mr. Smith. And what he, he filed a statement of claim, and, and what's happened is Fonterra, the oil companies, and the, and the Crown, you, you can initially um, um, make an application to strike the claim out in legal terms. So you don't, you, you file a defence, but then you make another application to say these claims are so absurd, so far fetched, so beyond the realms of anything we know in New Zealand common law, they can't succeed and they shouldn't be allowed to go to trial, okay? Now, that's, that that argument by the Crown and by Fonterra and others was um, successful in the High Court. Again, it was successful in the Court of Appeal. So it might uh, continue to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, under uh, Her Honour Justice Wynne Kelman, uh, famous for introducing uh, tikanga into the Alice decision that had never been argued uh, over 22 years or, or whatever it was of, of Alice litigation, um, Justice Wynne Kelman and, and the Supreme Court actually decided the opposite, that, well, you know, these claims are not so untenable that perhaps Mike Smith should not be allowed to go to trial and he might have a fairly decent argument in trial if the evidence is put forward that, you know, the, the, the state, the Crown through the legislation has not done enough to reduce emissions according to the IPCC reports and the Fonterra uh, has not done enough and, and they're polluting Mr Smith's land and... The same for the oil companies. Well, maybe he's got. Maybe he can prove that. Maybe he can prove that. So we don't think the Supreme Court basically said we don't think that it's our job to strike out the claim straight away. Let's go. Let's let's um, send it to trial because the common law is all about uh, evolvement uh, and, and the like. And, and so, how how can it evolve and adapt and and make progress? The common law, if we don't allow this claim to be heard, so they've reinstated the claim. Um, they right. reinstated it. But um, in interestingly, the thing, um, Smith in the court, um, his argument through his lawyer was was this, that where the environment has suffered damage, the principle of kaitiakitanga, which is guardianship, uh, requires steps to be taken to restore the balance. Um, the court said the trial must proceed and the trial court will need to grapple with the fact that Mr. Smith purports to bring proceedings not merely as an alleged proprietor of land who has suffered loss. And here's to kill a blow, um, Paul. So he's not bringing proceedings merely on his own behalf as a landowner, uh, but as a kaitiaki, a guardian, acting on behalf of the whenua, which is the land, the wai, which is the water, and the moana, which is the sea, the sea, I should say, the ocean. And then they said distinct entities in their own right. So okay. like, like they had... Um, the Whanganui River. Yes, like it is somewhat. Correct, correct. So the Whanganui River has been declared an actual legal person, I think. Oh, well, okay. oh, I could be... Am I going a bit too far there? But there was an argument a few years ago that the Whanganui River was so special to Iwi down in Whanganui, it should be declared a, a person in its own right. So, so um, he's gone from a guy who owns land let's say, worried about his land, okay, I get that, to some kind of magical protector 
of the spiritual values of the components that you've just mentioned. Correct. The land, the water, and the sea. And as the Supreme Court said, distinct entities in their own right. So the ocean is a legal entity uh, that can suffer damage, and the ocean can direct or instruct Mr. Smith to make a claim in the court on its behalf. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, right? So isn't the Supreme Court, shouldn't it work the other way around where you get the sort of weird decisions down low and it all gets sort of checked and balanced out as you go up the food chain, not the other way around? Yeah, very very, very good point. Um, very good point. The, the Supreme Court is meant, you're right, is meant to be an appellate court and, and say actually the decision below was wrong for these reasons that are usually within the, ba- the realms of uh, the law as it currently stands. In other words, they basically just got the law wrong, okay? You know, the, the Court of Appeal basically got the law wrong and therefore we will allow the appeal. Uh, they've, uh, as, um, as, a, as a writer uh, wrote in a newspaper article uh, a week or so back once this decision was given, um, he, this writer wrote, the Winkelman Court, which is the, the Supreme Court, has overreached and Parliament must respond. And I think that's true. Uh, my, my view is that is true. They have overreached and I think gone beyond the realms of what their role is as an appellate court. Uh, and you know, look, I, um, my personal view is that, um, you know, we've, we've they have overreached and will Parliament respond? Interestingly, uh, I went to a, a business lunch where Mr. You know, Chris Luxon, the Prime Minister, spoke before he was before the election. We're talking May, June last year, and a big lunch. And he was taking this was about two months after the um, the Alice decision came out in the Supreme Court, which which argued that tikanga was now a, a common law uh, principle of New Zealand. Anyway, um, I'd read that and I was a bit mortified by it all and and, and wondered how it could actually work um, because it's it's almost a separate Maori legal justice system. And so I stood up and asked Mr. Luxon a question when he was taking questions, uh, pointing pointing him to or making him take notice of the the Alice decision. And I asked whether you know his government would legislate to overturn the decision in the same way that Helen Clark legislated to um, vest the foreshore and seabed into the crown ownership. Uh, if you remember um, when. Yep. Yeah, the the hikoi went down and, pro- and they, you know, the Maori iwi tried to say that they owned the foreshore and the seabed, and Helen Clark saw the floodgates of opening if that sort of claim was allowed to uh, succeed. She legislated, said it can't happen. Um, I I think the same thing has to happen with Tikanga, and I think the same thing has to happen with claims like this. And I, I agree with that writer in the newspaper that. Uh, the court has overreached and Parliament, well, he wrote Parliament, I think it was a he, Parliament will respond. Um, I hope they do. I mean, I heard David Seymour on speaking to um, Mihi, Mihi Forbes uh, yep. in an interview last weekend where he said that uh, the way we're going at the moment, you know, arguing obviously in favour of his referendum and his tr- principles of treaty uh, bill, treaty principles bill, uh, where he said that uh, if we keep going the path we're going, we're going to have two separate legal systems in the country based on race, and it, it just cannot—you cannot have a, a functional Western democracy based on that sort of legal, you know, um, jurisprudence system. And I agree with him, and I think 
if we allow this stuff to creep on where Mr. Smith um, or Māori or anybody, you know, I mean, I could claim one sixteenth Māori ancestry to somehow stand up in front of a court and say I'm protecting whatever, a tree over there or something. I mean, the thing is that usually, um, you know, why this makes me so absurd is that um, if it were you, for example, Paul, and you, you know, you you are an entity because you are a human being, I could not stand up in court and say, Mr. Brennan has suffered damage and I'm here seeking damages on behalf of Mr. Brennan. Because the court would say, well, where's Mr. Brennan? Why can't he speak for himself? Right? Yeah. You know, uh, you, I, I, and if I wasn't a lawyer, I am, but if I wasn't, and Mr. Smith is not, um, I can't, I can't, anybody, nobody can stand up in front of a court and take a case on behalf of somebody else if they are not a lawyer. Mr. Smith is not a lawyer, yet he's purporting now, and the court's kind of agreed that he can stand up in court as a witness and say he is acting on behalf of, well, not just, um, you know, companies or, or human beings, persons, but the land, the water, and the sea, which the Supreme Court says are distinct entities. Couple of questions. What did Luxon say in answer to your question? Number one. Uh, he said, he, yeah, thanks. He said he had Paul Goldsmith, the Justice Minister, looking at the decision, and they'd make a decision in due course, basically. Okay. The other thing is the Chief Justice. What do we know about her? You mentioned the Ellis decision. And we've talked about that before on this program. There seems to be, you could say, okay, it's two high-profile instances here, but there's a track record of, of sort of activism. And is that is that what's needed in a chief justice? Um, <laughs> well, it depends who you're asking that question of. Because um, that wields uh, that that role position wields a lot of power, huge power, huge power, and. Um, and of course, the only the only um, other uh, organisation, I suppose, in the land that has got greater power is Parliament. Okay, so Parliament is meant to be supreme. Parliament is the highest court in the land. You know, uh, it passes the laws, it repeals laws, it can change laws, do whatever it wants. No one can really question Parliament uh, to well to an extent. Um, Next down, uh, you know, certainly in terms of uh, lawmaking and rulemaking is is the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, you see a lot of this sort of judicial, if you want to call it judicial activism, I, I guess we're seeing a bit potentially a creep, a creep of it. Um, and certainly, I mean, if you read some of... Uh, what Stephen Franks, the Wellington lawyer and former former MP, um, writes, he, he believes that they're definitely uh, we've got an act of a Supreme Court, and it's it's a very common scenario uh, in the United States, of course, where you get politically appointed Supreme Court judges, you know, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, and they, you know, they swing they swing the Supreme Court um, in the direction that they think the country needs to go morally and legally. Um, and, that, and, and that's why there's so much interest in, in what um, Supreme Court judges get appointed during the terms, right? Because they can load it up um, decision-making a particular way for years and even decades to come, given it's a... Yeah, and it becomes lifetime. a very, very political process. We saw who was that one who um, had to appear in front of um, the Senate, I think, and answer questions about his alleged um, fondling of women or remarks he oh, made. Oh, the African-American uh, guy. Um, 
No, no, he was a no. He was a um, oh no, um, the the more recent guy. Yeah, yeah um, the, the Republican conservative um, guy. Oh, it'll come to me. Yeah, arch conservative guy, and yeah. he he got, look, he got a he got a hell of a hard time. I mean, yeah. you know. So anyway, political appointments over there. Not, I mean, and look, they are they are actually um, political appointments here too, because all judges here are appointed by the Attorney General. You see, yeah, um, you know, so it is and, political. It kind of is political, but they go. We go through us. You know, we don't. Uh, I think it's a different, slightly different process um, here than it is in the states. But they are, um, they are political appointments. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kavanaugh, I think the guy's name was Kavanaugh. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. So here's another question or, or an yeah. observation from me, and I'm just dumb guy on the street, so I might have this all wrong. But it seems that that decision carries more emotion than forensic law. Emo- it's an emotional, given that the um, we're saying that the ocean and the uh, the water and the and the sea is our entities, like you know, living entities, and and you could probably make an argument in a way they are part of an ecosystem, but that's kind of an emotional view of things, isn't it? More than a uh, technical yeah, interpretation of law. Yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't seem to be a um, look. I mean. If a Supreme Court makes a comment like that, you would think, and I haven't looked, I have read the decision quickly, but I haven't read it in detail in terms of footnotes and, you know, precedents they might have referred to or something like that. But you would think with statements like that, they would have a reference to it uh, and would say, you know, they would refer to a you know, high court decision in Australia, which held the same thing for the Aboriginal people, or or something else that you could you could um, have some reference point to. But um, to make to make that without any reference point is, is certainly surprising. And wouldn't you have to also make a very detailed, evidential, technical argument as to how this is occurring? I mean, so you can you can say, okay, there's what CO two in the air, but we've spoken to many experts, and that is so contested. There's nothing really there there yet, actually. Well, well, interestingly, the Supreme Court touched on that uh, and and referred to the a couple of IPCC reports a couple of times, and almost well, they did quote from the reports word for word and took it. You know, um, we, there's, a, there's a there's a a saying in law that's uh, it's called judicial notice. And judicial notice is something that is so obviously true, you don't need to prove it, okay? And the court, sometimes lawyers will just ask the court to take judicial notice of this particular fact. It doesn't need to be proven, it's so obvious. The sky is blue, you know, the water is, the ocean is wet, you know? You don't have to prove it, you just take judicial notice of the fact. And and the Supreme Court here has quoted from the IPCC report and essentially made it it judicial notice that, that that is a, they are the God-given truth. All right. Well, yeah. um, when do we? When does the next bit of this play out? Well, uh, well, good, good question. I mean, all that's happened now is that the application by the respondents for strikeout has now been dismissed. Okay. And so it gets back on the normal track again, and um, they'll have to, you know, gather all the the the, the, the applicant, Mr. Smith, and everything else will have to. Um, assess, gathering all their uh, witnesses and their evidence, and then go through the normal process. I would imagine this. I mean, they didn't set a trial date, 
that's not for the Supreme Court to do. It's for the lower courts to do. The the high court is to set high court sets timetables as to you know uh, evidence to be filed and all this sort of carry on. So I imagine that'll now happen. Um, you probably there may be further uh, interlocutory applications for whatever. I don't know. You might be looking at eighty months away, maybe two years even for, for something like this. For something like this, I would say it'll be you. You will need experts. Um, you know, up the wazoo for this on both sides. Nice legal too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. maybe the wazoo is an entity in its own right as well. Yeah, yeah. the entity you know? known as wazoo. Wazoo. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, there's going to be experts galore being called here, and it's not going to be an easy one. So, goodness, I don't know. We could be two years away here. And one last thought on that. It's almost as if, I don't know, Mike Smith or his, his legal um, help representation kind of knew if they hung in there long enough and got it to the Supreme Court, they might have had a shot. It sort of feels maybe that way. Yes. Yes. So how would you know that? <laughs> he, he might have been getting nudge, surrepti- nudge, wink, wink. surreptitious messages and encouragements along the way from MPs in the, uh, the last year or so or some or other people, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. it, that, that doesn't come cheap, I'm picking. Pushing well, well talking talking about cheap, the other thing that the Supreme Court, the other comment, or well, well, not comment they made, but what came out of the decision is that Smith's lawyers are acting pro bono in the case. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. yep, they're not being paid. Mm. Okay, okay, fascinating. Let's uh, move on to the next item. Again, sort of nudges on things we've talked about already. I'm reading from a headline in the Post. Um, from yesterday, so very fresh. Home insurance will become more expensive, more limited, and harder to get. I'm picking, little voice tells me, that that uh, I'm probably going to encounter the term managed retreat somewhere in this, and that this serves, this helps in in pushing that, that thing, managed retreat. I mean, if you can't buy insurance for your home because it's, you know, going to get hit with sea level rise or um, because climate change is going to generate more adverse weather events and you can't be insured. And we know that a lot of those properties will be near beaches. I'm thinking of Kapiti Coast is one that's going through this and there are others that that really enables the managed retreat to take place. Am I am I jumping the gun? And I'm no, no, you're, I th- I th- no, I think your I think your um, suspicions are fairly accurate. But it's not just managed retreat, as we discussed, you know, last year on the show, um, uh, is potentially going to affect a, a lot of coastal communities around around the country. Um, but but this insurance issue, and it comes out of a um, a parliamentary inquiry. In New Zealand, into how New Zealand um, is set to adapt to 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 to, to climate change. Well, the, a, ma- a massive insurer, Suncorp, which owns Vero, so so you know Vero is a big company in itself, and Suncorp owns Vero, uh, has told the government that there's been a inverted commas step change in global reinsurers' attitudes to New Zealand. So, ah, so the the insurers who insure the insurers. the insurance, correct? The insurer, yep. the the Lloyds and the likes, the Lloyds and people like that in, in London and New York and other massive companies, trillions of dollars worth. Of, so the step change, but basically they, they've told this government and or parliamentary inquiry is that New Zealand not only now represents to insure or reinsurers reinsurers a significant earthquake risk, but also significant weather risk. It's always uh, been an earthquake well. risk, mate. You know, yep. ever since you know tectonic yep. plates. Just saying. 
Yeah, and then, then yeah, and, and look, they've they've been under New Zealand for about four billion years, you know. So, um, so weather events now, now, uh, interestingly, so you know, we have talked about managed retreat, which you might think, you know, does this only apply to well, managed retreat potentially only applies to coastal properties, but this insurance issue uh, potentially affects a, a lot of urban areas uh, as too, particularly low lying low lying areas and. You know where I've where I come from on um, the North Shore of Auckland. There's a couple of prominent low-lying areas uh, that, when the uh, anniversary day um, events happened in January last year, and then uh, this you know the cyclone a few a couple of weeks later, a few weeks later, um, many, many homes were just you know literally under underwater. Um, and these are these are these are homes that are you know nowhere near the coast. Okay. okay, but they're very low, very low level. They've got poor infrastructure in terms of drainage, um, and and stormwater, you know, outputs and, and bits and pieces like that. So, um, yeah. So, so that, and and I guess look, and, and just you know, for your for your listeners, I've had, I've been, I've had a a case over the last couple of weeks where. I had a client buy a commercial building uh, in, in Auckland on a, on a low a low level area. The the um, purpose of buying the commercial building they've got a successful um, business not too far away, a food business, and they want this was an empty commercial building and they want to open shop number two in this particular building, um, which was formerly a dairy, and so uh, the dairy's lease expired and and the dairy owner didn't want to continue with it. So here we have. A vacant shop. Well, the 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 land information memorandum or LIM report for the property uh, did not show the land in a flood zone. It did not show. It, it's about this land and buildings about eight hundred meters from, I guess, from uh, the coast as well. So reasonably inland. Uh, did not show any coastal erosion risk. Did not show uh, it being in a flood zone. Did not show any. Um, evidence at all of there being, you know, damage, uh, potential problems with floods. Um, and yet, uh, you know, our client did the due diligence on on the purchase, uh, including resource management, planning advice and legal advice and the like, decided it would go ahead and then uh, had had a couple of insurance companies deny, deny claim. Oh, so okay. you know they went they went to complete settlement and, and they were getting you know bank funding and the bank said oh can you show us the insurance please on the building and god we, we couldn't get it and we were in a bit of a panic uh client couldn't get it and uh, only because um well one of the reasons actually was because it was going to be vacant for a few months while they fitted it out and a couple of the insurance companies didn't like a vacant building um but they also looked at the fact that you know it's um potential because it's low lying um it's uh, 800 meters from the coast and whatever that oh goodness uh you know it might it, it, it might flood in a one in 1000 or one in 100 year flood event it might flood and we don't we're just staying away from it despite the fact that we showed them i could show them no no here, here are the pages from the lim report it's not even in the flood zone here's the distance between it and the and not interested Gosh. Okay. Yeah, so, so you know, it's going this this issue. Um, if these big insurance companies decide that you know adverse weather events in New Zealand um, uh, become more and more common, uh, it, which they're not, it, by the way. Ian, which no, no, no. That's, that's, of course, they're, of course, they're, of course, they're not. Um, yeah. 
you know, again, it's a bit like the 25 degrees in summertime we talked about 10 minutes ago. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is, right? Because it's always been like yeah. Auckland's a, well, no, but Wellington, Wellington's windy and Auckland's unchangeable. Four seasons in one day, it's always been that way, you know. And But he, he, here's Suncorp um, saying that um, Suncorp said global reinsurers would look very favourably on New Zealand investing in climate resilience. Oh, here we to, go. To lessen yeah. future losses from extreme weather events like floods. See, that's just making it up. Essentially, and um, and they're talking about higher premiums because there's higher risk. So, uh, Is there, though? That's the thing. Higher well, premiums, bigger profits. Yeah, I mean, my, I guess, look, on the legal position, I, I guess I'm, I'm talking to you know, people out there who, who might consider buying property in the in the near future, uh, be very careful about the issue. I think of um, whether you can insure it and make make sure you can insure before you're committed to purchase. Because I think this issue is not not going away. In fact, it's only going to get worse. And sadly, I think Paul, you know, the horse is bolted. Can we can we reverse oh. some of this madness? I don't think we can. Yeah. Yeah. But if you live in a 15-minute city, no problem. You get plenty of insurance coming out of your wazoo. There's your legal yeah. term. And, and here's, well, here's an interesting uh, quote um, from Suncorp. It said, uh, insurers may even withdraw from the high-risk locations. It said, a process known as, wait for it, Paul, insurance retreat. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> okay. Managed Let's... retreat, insurance retreat. There's Goodness. something going on. Who owns we, the reinsurers? Is can a, we have madness me. retreat? <laughs> Who owns the reinsurers? Don't, don't tell me BlackRock, Vanguard, yeah, uh, yeah uh, Main yes. Street or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, BlackRock, Vanguard, but of course the the evil people apparently in the world is the Atlas Network. Oh yeah, because they've spent because mm. uh, tens of thousands in because the they're a think tank and they and they write policy papers that for people to try and read and you know get ideas off. You know, anyway. well, you know, people who are who are drowning look for you know the a life jacket, don't they, to cling on to. <laughs> Um, Okay, let's get into this story. It's fascinating to wind up on um, from the lawfuel.com website. Women outnumber men in U.S. law firms for the first time, according to a survey in January this year, so very recent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, probably not a huge surprise, but um, like the guy looking at the the two rainbows, Nick, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Well... Look, I, I think I don't know what it means as such. I just I just find it interesting, and I find it interesting from the point of view that I'm a firm believer in people getting you know anybody getting somewhere uh, on on their merits and working hard and just being good at what they do, regardless of whether they're you know female or male or, or Maori or Samoan or Chinese or whatever. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I'm not a big advocate at all. I'm not any way advocate of, of affirmative action. And um, you know, it, the fact that in America now you can have um, over fifty percent of all lawyers in law firms in America, fifty point three percent of them, be female. And in fact, the majority of associates in law firms now in the USA is female. Uh, I think is just. Uh, I actually personally think it's fantastic. I think if they've all got there on their merit. And they deserve to be there and promoted as associates. Then I think, you know, we don't need to have quotas. We don't need to have, you know, <laughs> diversity, uh, you know, kind of projects and initiatives and whatever, whatever. In fact, if we're going to have, you know, minority and diversity, and they should be actually towards men because we're now the minority, 
right? So yeah. maybe maybe men should now group together and, and pitch to Parliament and say, well, I'm actually a, a white class, middle class male. I'm a minority. Um, you know, what, what are you going to do to look after my minority rights? But anyway, I, I just I just find that interesting. And you know, even in New Zealand, um, many years ago, well, not many, but I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we had, when Helen Clark was Prime Minister, we had Helen Clark as Prime Minister, we had a female Governor-General, um, and I can see her face, but I forget her name, uh, and we had a female uh, who was the head... Kath Tizard. Kath Tizard, correct. We And we had females, both uh, of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeal, I think yeah, it the was. The bases were loaded, Nick. The bases were loaded, you know what I mean? So, And they were, well, certainly Helen Clark got the honour merit and she worked, you know, ridiculously um, hard and whatever to get to where she did and, and sacrificed a lot. So, you know, uh, you know women can do it on, on their own. Um, you know, it's... Um, I yeah, guess so- why I asked what does it mean is because, you know, men are from... Well, who's from Venus and who's, who's from Mars? I, I keep forgetting who's from where, but um, but you know, there's that difference, yeah, in thinking, and and I think it's great as well. And on your merits, you know, if you if you can if you have more drive and uh, there's more ambition amongst uh, females to be in the legal profession than men, as it turns out now, well, so be it. That's the way. That's where the chips fall. But does it change the way? Potentially over time, that the that the law works. Does yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, so you, I, I know where you're going with this, and um, I guess it's it, it comes down to the psychology of law and the psychology of the the differences of males and females. And um, you know, law is a an industry that that you know, when I was at law school, that one of the greatest things I was ever told. By by one of my lecturers, and I can even name her, Rosemary Tobin. She was an excellent lecturer teacher. She asked the class, "Who here can explain what law is?" And people put their hands up. Oh, statutes. Oh, it's this. It's cases. Oh, no, it's just words. Okay, wow. law is simply yeah. words, right? Yeah. And yeah. the better you can analyze and figure out what the words say and use them to your advantage, the better the law you'll be. And that's exactly what the law is. It's just words. Yeah. Uh, and so when you're, you know, particularly court advocates, uh, litigators, they have to construct um, rational, legal, coherent, you know, persuasive arguments for a court to accept. Because at the end of the day, Paul, judges don't make the law. Lawyers make the law because because lawyers in the court put their arguments forward. Yeah. And the judges decide whether to accept it or not. But what if you've got a fem, a, a except for the Supreme Court in New Zealand justice system as well, kind of agreeing with, with? Yeah, well, well. So I'll go back to the point. You know, so um, yeah. so that's you know, you, you put your rational, coherent, um, logical kind of um, arguments forward, and court can either accept it or not, or whatever. Um, uh, let's be a bit careful what I say here, but I think, <laughs> I think that you know, go back to the psychology of law. Um, on what I found certainly anyway is that that, that um, um, females have more of an of, a, of an emotional way of thinking about things, and I think men have more of a logical. This is generalisation, of course. Yeah, yeah, big, yeah. big yeah. generalisation. Um, but I think by and large, you know, the women are from Mars, men are from Venus, or whatever it was. One, 
that's basically one of the one of the principles. I think women have a more of an emotional kind of way of constructing an argument to persuade, whereas men have more of a logical way to do it. Yeah, right. More generally. clinical. Clinical, gen- generally, right. So, if we're if we're going to push the boundaries of some of these legal principles, which we've just spoken about, even today. Um, of you know, your managed retreats and climate change and you know um, um, other ones. Well, um, some of this emotive language about the world's going to end and you know you've all got to wear a mask or else we're all going to die from COVID and all mm. this sort of stuff. It, it probably assists um, um, the fifty point three percent now of, of lawyers in America who are be female. Be kind, Nick. Yeah, you'd be be kind. Yeah, we're going to destroy yeah. your life because we're trying to be kind. Yeah, be kind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's very difficult. Look, it's very and what it's very difficult to, um, and this is one of the this is one of the we're going slightly off topic here, but um, we can go into a little bit of a political kind of um, paradigm, perhaps. But this is one of the things that interests me about uh, the left and the right of politics. In New Zealand, I observe, yep. particularly particularly the likes of your Chloe Swarbrick's, your Gowis Garamans, and those sorts of Marama Davidsons, and yep. those sorts of you know very radical um, left wing people. They they argue their arguments are all just um, emotional, you yep. know, and seem to be that way. Yeah, very emotional, and, and it's you know they, they use superlatives and you know metaphor and everything to sort of shock you and to scare you. Um, emotionally, because that's kind of how they want to, to. There's a certain part of your brain called the amygdala. I, I can't pronounce it, amygdala, or, or very similar anyway. And that part of your brain um, is basically the, the, the flight or um, fight yeah. part yeah. of your brain. Regulator, yeah, yeah, regulator, and, and regulates your behaviour. And you hear the stuff, and the amygdala goes, "Oh my god," you know, and then puts up its puts up its um, you know hunches or haunches or whatever. So. Uh, they play to that a lot, intentionally or not, I don't know. Um, whereas the, the right on the politics generally try to be, again, we're generalising here, I think they are a little bit more polite and a little bit more kind of logical, a little bit more kind of rational, a little bit kind of more, you know... Um, well, empathetic, actually, because em- yeah, empathetic, you kind of put perhaps, yourself yeah. in, the, um, in the other... You, you try and... And and give benefit of the doubt. I, I th- you know, um, more readily. Let's say. Mm. I mean, look, I and a very very good, a very good, um, and X or it's called X, but it used to be Twitter. Um, yeah. Not the best example because you can only fit 130 odd characters into your little message. But some of the stuff on there from the left, particularly around climate change, is just alarmist, shrieking. Yeah. Emotional claptrap, chicken little claptrap. Yeah, yep, yeah. it's all just claptrap. And how do you respond to that? And logically, in 130 characters, you know, you, you, yeah, you kind of, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can't. You had, you had to get, you had to, to get sarcastic. Yeah, you had to get yeah. sarcastic and and start, you know, producing yeah. memes and stuff like that. But they're very, they're very, very effective. At and, it. and who's going to sit there and and read it all if if you could anyway? I mean, uh, yeah. that was I saw the criticism. Speaking to that, and another sort of obvious sign of it, as far as I was concerned, of the um, interview that Tucker Carlson did with Putin, he did some history, and they and people were sarcastic about that, like you know it was boring, I couldn't hang in there. But how the freaking hell do you know what's going on unless you know a bit of history? Actually, well, that that says to me it's boring. I couldn't hang in there because my brain is now wired to 134 characters on Twitter. Yeah. 
Yeah, there right. you go. Yeah. And, that, and that's the problem. Okay, you know, uh, concentration levels, I think, are, are less than what they used to be. Perhaps. Anyway, we're, we're going slightly off topic, but yeah. that's kind of where I think, you know, um, this uh, long term may, may go. You may start to get a, a bit more around, you know, um, e- emotional type decisions made in, in some of these courts, perhaps. Um, like, like the sea and the uh, the hills and the uh, the rivers and the water and the sky are entities. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, thinking yeah. organisms, as um, as Les Patterson used to say, thinking organisms, thinking organisms with their own heart and and liver and and aortas yeah. and yeah. arteries and stuff. Yeah, and more pump, culture yeah. than a penicillin factory. <laughs> I think is another one of his lines. Okay, yeah. well, it's fascinating. Yeah, but but in the end, it's if if women perform better than men in getting in those jobs and outnumbering. Well, that that's just that's it is what it is. That's that's what it is. And yeah, if you, who cares? I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I might be a bit unusual, but I don't look at them as as, as women. They're, they're humans. I don't. I, don't, you know, yeah. I mean, I, same way, I don't look at people's skin color and say they're Chinese, they're black or they're white. They're just people. I mean, you, know, you can't so, say you're disadvantaged anymore, though. That's the other thing. Because uh, well, I'm just I'm disadvantaged now. Yeah, the, the numbers say <laughs> otherwise. No. All right. Well, what an interesting legal hub. As always, Nick, it was great to uh, have you back. And um, I look forward to many more programs in 2024. There's going to be a lot to talk about. I know There is, yeah. There is, for sure. For sure, yeah. So until um, next week, um, good to see you again. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Have a good day and, and to your listeners as well. Cheers. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.